Good morning. Welcome to Northfield Christian. Oh, there we go. We're on. Great. For you that don't know me, my name is Rick Sherman. It is my privilege to get up here from time to time sharing God's Word. So first thing I'm going to do is date, date myself, and I'm going to date these three sections also. So snow days, right? So we didn't have those where I grew up in advance. I never got the email at 2 o'clock the day before that there's no school. But I can tell you, you're missing something, because the euphoria of turning on your transistor radio at 7 in the morning and listening to see that Tremont District Schools are canceled for the day is the best feeling ever. See, they've lost out, because now we have e-learning days. Who wants an e-learning day? I want a snow day. Yes, I'm old, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But I can appreciate, so I have a confession to make. Those of you that know me, I grew up where we have lots of snow. I hate it. I hate winter. Might shock you. But I can find the beauty in it. This is a picture from uh, coworkers, and I said, is that your um, umbrella that's underneath the deck there? And he said, no, that's just a simple snow drift that he has. That's all the way to the roof. Um, here's my work this week, um, past the garage door, um, up past the man door on a different door. Um, this is my front porch. While I said I hate snow, I can appreciate God's creativity. Look at this little thing. That's like an inch wide, but it's almost a foot high. And, and I, Beth and I went on a walk the other day, and you see the ripples in the straw. I really can appreciate God's creativity, even though I don't care much for it. Um, that's on my front porch, and obviously that's, that's where the eaves trough or the gutter comes out over top, and it's just perfect in succession. Um, it reminded me of my youth again. Um, where I grew up, we got lots of snow. And um, on a particularly good snow day, there was an access point where we could climb on the school roof. And if the drifts were high enough, we would jump off the roof onto the drifts. Uh, good, clean fun. So here again, I want to get your brain going for a little bit. Just read this for a second. See if this hits old people or young people. It kind of blew my mind as an old person. You know, these people over here, talking to these three, have, have no concept of the 70s. Like, none. It doesn't exist. Like, that's forever ago. That's past an eternity ago. Nothing. Did you guys know these people over here, we lived in the 70s? <laughs> it's crazy. But 1918 for me, well, that's an eternity ago. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Before we get into God's word, let's take a moment, a moment and go to him in prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning and just thank you that you're above time, Father, that you uh, know all things and are above all things. We thank you, Father, for your word today for the encouragement that it provides just to truly know you and know the gift of your salvation and strength and power and to have that dwell in our hearts. Pray, Father, that you'll prepare our hearts for what's said, that you'll help us to be fertile ground for that to fall on. We pray for Brother Rick, that you give him the words to guide us through this. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we are going today, and i do a quick recap. And the reason I'm going to do a quick week crack, today we are going to capture the rest of Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to take a two-week break for two ministers' choices. And then after that, we're going to get, do the rest of Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6. There really is a gear change in Ephesians, so that works quite well. And the other reason we're doing it is um, after we do Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, we'll be right up against Palm Sunday and the Easter season. So a quick recap on what we discussed so far in, in Ephesians 1. Uh, Don Stuber talked about Christ being the plan from the beginning. 
And then we got a little bit out of order because of COVID, and Doug then preached Ephesians 2 back-to-back, and his first uh, sermon was on death, resurrection, and life, and that Christ had acted on that. And Doug's second sermon in Ephesians 2 then was on peace and unity. It's kind of a little bit of a theme in the first three chapters. And then we went back to capture the second half of Ephesians 1, and that's when Brian Hepp preached on our eyes being enlightened or our eyes opened. And then last week, Don did the first half of chapter 3, and that was uh, living our faith, Christ in our culture. So today we're Ephesians chapter 3. I'll give you a second to get there. It's Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, page 978 in your pew Bible. I'll give you just a moment to get there. And Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being ravished in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So this is another beautiful passage in Ephesians. Ephesians is a a book, and and I will tell you right now that we are going to try to cover this today, but we are not going to get anywhere close to covering this passage. Um, Sarah was in my office the other day. She said, Dad, you're preaching? Yeah. I said, uh, she said, what are you preaching on? I said, I gave her the verses, Ephesians 14 through 21, and she read it, and I said, Sarah, what should I preach? She said, Dad, just read it and sit down. And you know what? At the end, you guys are probably all going to say, Sarah was right. <laughs> um, this is one sentence. Ephesians 14 through, uh, 3, 14 through 19 in the Greek is one sentence. Uh, Paul would not have done well in grammar school. Uh, there is a number of run-on sentences in all of Paul's writing, but specifically in Ephesians. I think the first half of chapter 1 is also. But we will not cover it all today, but I do want to talk a little bit. Um, starts with, for this reason. This is the third for this reason in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Um, Don talked about one last week. There's also one in chapter 115. Uh, That's usually a pause for this reason. For what? Paul, I believe here, is really going back to the first three chapters of Ephesians. Um, And he notes here, and I want to pause. Well, I want to say before we get into the text, because we're in the text. I kneel before the Father. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And then Paul prays. So I want to talk here for a moment about reverence. Do we still have it, or did you ever? So where am I going with this? Is kneeling, is it important, is it a reverence a posture? Is reverence our attire? Is reverence a place? Is reverence our attendance? Where am I going with this? Paul kneels to pray. Do you have to kneel to pray? No. Do you have to have the right clothes on to pray? No. Do you have to be in the right spot? Do you have to pray at church? No. Well, I went to a prayer meeting. You can go to a prayer meeting and not pray and not have reverence. Paul, I believe here, is, he's kneeling. Why? Because he has reverence. 
And that's what he prays for. Do you know who you're talking to when you pray? I have two daughters. Uh, my oldest one is not here, so we're going to talk about her for a minute. She is a little more combative, the youngest one. And, uh, of course, growing up, she's at school and that way at school. But growing up, there was times where there was a little bit of interaction, a little bit of hostility, a little bit of banter back and forth. And I think I did a good job. Of course I did a good job, right? Uh, but there were times when Tressa would cross the line, in my opinion. And I remember a couple times I would look at her and I would say, Tressa, do you know who you're talking to? You will not talk to me like I'm Janie. No, no disrespect to Janie. You will not talk to me like I am one of your peers. I am your father. You will not talk to me like that. And truthfully, it worked a couple times. And I asked Tressa, she was home over Christmas, and she said she remembers that. But do we talking to when we talk to God? Do we know who we're praying to? Do we have that reverence in our heart? It's not a posture. Do we have any concept who we're praying to? Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, Revelation 4. Did you know you will never find in Scripture love, 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 grace, 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 peace, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. You find one of God's traits in the Scripture repeated three times in succession. Holy, holy, holy. Do we know who we're talking to? Do we know who we're praying to? So we got... Three points, if you will, other than that one, that I want to pull out. It's my fault there's not notes in this bulletin, I'm sorry. But I wanted to do three what and three whys. So what? And this is verse 16. We're not going to stray from the passage. Verse 16. What is Paul praying? He is praying that he, God, may strengthen you with power through the Spirit. From where is God getting this power to strengthen you? Out of his glorious riches. Ephesians 1.7. God's grace is part of his glorious riches. Ephesians 1.18. His inheritance. I can't remember. I think it was Doug that talked about that. We have an inheritance coming in Christ. But we are God's inheritance. You're part of God's riches. Ephesians 2.4. God is rich in mercy. Ephesians 2.7. Again, the riches of his grace. Ephesians 3.8, Christ, the riches of Christ. Christ is God's riches. I want to strengthen you with power. From what? From where? From God's glorious riches. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I don't know how to pronounce that. That is the Greek word for dwell. That's why I have dwell in caps. That word directly translated so that Christ may be at home in your hearts. So that Christ may be at home in your hearts through faith. So I thought about that. Home. I love home. I don't know if I'm a homebody, but the older I get, the more I'm getting. I love home. Why do I love home? Because I'm at peace there. I can be me there. When I get home from work, first thing I do, a pair of shorts, my favorite t-shirt. And I'm home and I can relax. And I don't have to be nice anymore. I deal with the public. I deal with customers. I have to be nice. I'm home. I can, I can relax. And I can just be me. Whether I'm just sitting there talking to my wife or watching TV or dinner or whatever, but I'm home, right? There's peace at home, or there should be. Christ wants to be at home in my heart. And I thought, there's a lot of places in my heart. Christ's not at home or wouldn't want to be. 
And I thought about some of that. And, I, and, and it's, it's not a negative, it's not a guilt trip, but this is where we need to get as Christians, where Christ is at home in our heart, all of it. Not in the basement where we keep stuff we don't show people. Not in the, in the fruit cell. Christ is at home, in our heart, in all of our heart. And it was a challenge to me. I spent some time in my office just thinking, man, if you guys knew what goes through my mind sometimes, if you guys know what goes through my heart, Christ can't be at home there. But that is the goal. That is Paul's prayer, that Christ would dwell where in your heart. He wants to be at home in your heart. And then this is how it manifests itself. That then Christ, as a result, becomes a dominating factor in our attitudes and our conduct. It just, it's a, it's a growth process. So point one, why? That Christ will strengthen you, that you out of his glorious riches, that Christ may dwell, Christ may be at home in your hearts. What? The second what? This is verse 18. Let's read that. May I pray, it actually starts in 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So being rooted in love. Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Paul is writing to, to believers who are established in love. He's assuming that base point, right? And that's good. The power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is Christ's love. Those of you like old school like me, sometimes my brain goes back to the King James and we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of Christ's love. We live in a finite world. I wouldn't say I'm like, well, maybe I'm a data geek. I like data. Let's go with some. Skill test. Anybody? Long ways. That's accurate. Where we're going to Mars, right? As humans, we want to go. Seven months. 300 million miles. I will suggest to you right now that God's love is there. It's there right now. It's 300 million miles away. And it's right here. And it's everywhere in between. How deep is the ocean? You guys are in school. Come on. Challenger Deep is the deep ocean, approximately 36,200 feet, seven miles. And God's love is there right now. How tall is Mount Everest? 29,000 feet, something like that, pulling that one out. And God's love is there. And God's love is everywhere in between right now. I am not a flat earth theory guy. I know that's popular right now for us conservative Christians to say we're flat earth. I'm not flat earth. But I didn't know how to do width because the earth is round. What is the circumference of the earth? 25,000 miles. And everywhere on that circumference is God's love. Everywhere. Always. How high? How wide? How deep is God's love? We can only quantify it in human terms. Why? Why do we need to grasp how high and how wide and how deep God's love is? Why? So that we are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's why. 
who becomes our inherent strength. This drove Luther nuts, by the way. Any of you that know Luther, um, of really at one point it was Luther against the world. Luther spent, I can't remember what period of time, but a significant period of time at, monas- at a monastery. While Luther was at the monastery, he would spend routinely six hours a day in confession, day after day. How much trouble can you get in in a monastery? <laughs> six hours a day, Luther, day after day, would spend in confession, living in a monastery. Luther wasn't confessing the sins we think about as Christians, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What was Luther confessing? What was going through his brain? He's looking at his heart. And he saw the depravity of his heart. And he couldn't get, he couldn't get how God's love could love that. And he couldn't put two and two together, and it almost drove him nuts. And then one day it clicked that God's love is big, and it's deep enough, and it's high enough to cover all of that. God's love. Faultless to stand before the throne. It's the only way. It's the only way this heart can stand faultless before the throne is God's love. I'll let you read that. The more a Christian knows about Christ, the more amazed he is at Christ's love for us. Note, point one, point two, point one what, point one why. It's really the same request, isn't it? Paul is really making the same request. He's just saying it differently. He's asking that Christ would dwell in you. Christ would be at home in your heart. And why? So Christ can fill you to the measure of God. It's the same thing. Phrased differently, Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in you, that you'd be filled to the full measure of Christ, full measure of God. Point three, I am on verse 20 now. And this is kind of the close of the chapter, really the close, in my opinion, of Ephesians 3. I'm going to read verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. To him is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Really? So let's put it down in human terms. At least this is how my brain works. Is he really? I'm not being irreverent. COVID? Can't God solve this? Haven't, haven't we prayed for it? How many Christians have prayed that we, God would solve it? Really? He's able to do immeasurably more? You read the news, some people would tell you we're on the brink of World War III with Russia and Ukraine and China back on. Really? God, God's able to do immeasurably more? He, he, can, he can solve this? You pick it. World hunger, human trafficking, persecuted church, racism, child abuse, gang slash gun violence, cancer, etc. Really? God, God's able to do more? He already did more. Sorry. Folks, this is what hit me. He already did more. He saved this worthless soul and redeemed him, pure and blameless, before a holy God. The reason we can pray 
in the, at the tail part of Ephesians chapter 3 that says we can approach God. The reason we can, the reason we can pray this verse that he is able to do more is because he already has. Has he done it in your life? He has done immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. He saved this worthless, hell-bound soul. That is immeasurably more. And I am not suggesting that God cannot do any of those things. Um, why verse 21, to him be the glory. And we pray that prayer to do immeasurably more. Um, some commentators would tell you this is God. Um, this is Paul saying the rift between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what Paul's referring to. Well, how does that work? this verse work for us in 2021? We pray this verse when we're kind of praying against the odds. We're in, you know, a miraculous healing. We're praying for something. And I don't think we're taking that verse out of context because God is. If you're missing the point, I am not suggesting God has any less power. God is in the miracle business to this day. There is nothing wrong with praying for healing. There is nothing wrong with praying for any kind of miracles. Because God's in the healing business and he's in the miracle business because he does it every day. People are saved on this earth every day. You heard what the shavers were saying. People are saved. God's word is going forward. And he is doing immeasurably more by saving one soul. Are you tracking with me? God is able to do immeasurably more. Why? To him be the glory forever and ever. And this goes right back to reverence where we started. Do we know who we're talking to? Do we know what he did? Do you know the depths of your despair? Do you know what it cost? It cost God's love. How deep is God's love? How wide? How long? Summation of the first three chapters of Ephesians 13. Christ can do immeasurably more. Christ can do immeasurably more. Do we understand that? Do we live it? It's the power that's in us. He already has done immeasurably more, and it's within us. Do we pray out of that? What do I pray? What do I pray for the American dream? Okay, we'll take it a little deeper. I've prayed for my girls for years and years that they, follow, that they find a godly spouse. I pray that they follow God's will. What should I be praying for my girls? That they be filled with Christ. That they should be filled with the full measure of God. That's what matters. What do I pray when someone irritates me, when I got a rift with someone? I actually will admit, I do a pretty good job. The best way I've found to diffuse my anger towards someone is to pray for them. But what do I pray? God bless that person. God point out, maybe you can point out the sin in their life so they quit irritating me. What do I pray? What should I pray? What I really want to pray. What should I pray for my wife? When we don't like what's going on here at Northfield or we disagree, should we pray for our elders? God, can you let them see that and point something out? Or maybe we should pray, God, can you dwell Christ in them? God, can you fill them with the full measure of your spirit? That's what we should be praying. That's what Paul is praying. So we should be praying for each other. That's what I should be praying. I talking to a guy this morning, just how much energy and time I pour into work. No different than any of you. I'm not trying to elevate myself, but how much energy and time, and I get home and I'm tired. What should I be praying? I should be praying in the morning, God, not help me be nice to people, not help me do a good job, not help me have energy for the day. I should be praying, God, fill me up with your spirit, with the full measure of Christ today, and shine for your glory. For your glory. Burn so much energy on this earth. And nothing is beyond him. Nothing is beyond Christ. Nothing. Not then. Not now. And not forever. 
God is able to do immeasurably more. To him be the glory. The worship team is going to come up. We're going to close with a song. Uh, forever. Forever is a long time. Uh, I lost a coworker this week. It's really kind of a sad deal. Um, he forcibly retired. He caught an illness. I uh, visited him in the hospital in July. Uh, I saw him just before Christmas. He wasn't doing well. Mike's an eternity now. And an eternity is a long time. And I thought to myself in human terms, why is forever? Why do we need forever? Because that's how long it's going to take us to understand the height and the depth and the width of God's love. That's how long it's going to take. It's going to take forever to understand. Are you thankful as a Christian? If you were a Christian here, are you thankful every day for what Christ has done in your life? And are you praying that he can do immeasurably more in the future? And if you're not, for those of you that aren't, forever's a long time. Forever is a long time. Wide and how deep and how far is God's love. May God bless.